Welcome to your best riding life. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, you receive tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I'm so glad you're listening in today. We're going to be talking about platform building. And my industry expert is Thomas Umstead. Thomas is the founder of Author Media and the host of the Novel Marketing Podcast. He travels the world speaking at events to help authors build their platforms, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. Thomas, welcome to your best writing life. Thanks, Linda, for having me. This is awesome. It's great to have you here. So we're going to take just a quick moment right at the beginning of the show. I love doing this. And we're going to journey inside the life of our experts. So this is kind of a, a peek behind the curtain, Thomas, if, if, if you may. And so share with us something that your audience may not be aware of. So I did theater in high school, which you may uh, think, how did you do that? I thought you were homeschooled. It's like, hey, homeschoolers can do theater too. We had a homeschool music theater program. It was connected with our homeschool choir and I played Tevier and Fiddler on the Roof. So I got to marry off all of my daughters and it was it was very good fun. Oh, I love it. I have a theater background myself. So as I noticed what you wrote, I was like, oh, so he sang in high school. So here's my question. Do you still sing? I sing to my kids. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my singing has gone up quite a bit uh, since um, we had children, but I don't I don't sing in any other kind of context. Well, you know, I think that you do sing. I think you sing the praises of the authors that you have helped along the way. I Or I know that you do sing praises to the Lord and all that he's doing in and through your life and through the lives of those that you get to mentor and the clients you get to coach and those you get to work with to help them in an area that we're going to be talking about today, which is, of course, platform building. So we're going to get straight to that. Again, thank you so much, Thomas, for being here with us. So let's look at it. What is platform? How do you define that? So platform, one way to think of it is in the old school sense. Uh, So there were preachers back in the 1700s who could speak to tens of thousands of people. And part of the reason we know this was because Benjamin Franklin went to go hear uh, George Whitfield speak. And Benjamin Franklin was uh, critical, right? He wasn't a fanboy of George Whitfield. And he went, he observed the crowd, he counted the crowd. He, he writes about this in his autobiography. And then he walks backwards and does the math of how many people he thinks George Whitfield could speak to. And he's like, I think George Whitfield could speak to 30 or 40,000 people. The crowd at the time was about 20,000 people. And you're like, how could someone speak to 20,000 people without amplification? (laughs) Because this is long before um, microphones were invented. You know, this is before even Franklin made his electrical discoveries uh, or right around the time he's starting to experiment with science. And so the way Whitfield was able to speak to so many people was that he had a platform that he would stand on. And the wood of the platform was at about head level of everybody else. So he's speaking over their heads so that the bodies don't block the sound because human bodies absorb sound. And then he also had a speaker box built around him. They didn't call it a speaker box, but it functioned like a speaker box. It was a kind of a wooden wall behind him. And then it kind of sloped upwards so that his uh, sound being created by his mouth was being forced out away from the stage. And the platform allowed him 
to influence far more people than he could without doing that. And George Whitfield, you know, traveled from town to town giving sermons and was one of the great awakening preachers. So the results of his speaking from these platforms was a great revival uh, in uh, the colonies at the time. So that's what we were. We weren't a country yet, but it was right. coming. And so that is what a platform is. So obviously it's not what it is today, right? We don't build wooden stages, but we do have other ways of amplifying our voice so that we can reach more people. And what's interesting is that there's a lot of ways to build a platform. It could be a radio show. It could be a podcast. It could be other books you've written. It could be your articles that you write for the newspaper. It could be the fact that you're a pastor of an influential church. There's lots of ways of building a platform and one of the things that I talk with authors about is that you don't want to try to do all of those things. <laughs> Find one or two that you're good at, that you're passionate about, and really grow in that area. This is fascinating. And I do love the uh, story behind Platform. As an actress, I travel and we have performed in amphitheaters without amplification. And to be able to have that bigger type of platform behind us with the big arching dome, and it just throws the voices out. And years and years ago, doing theater, you had to actually project your voice. You did not have amplification. That kind of dates me a little bit. But today, I think we're also amplified by the particular platform that we have and those that are within listening range of us. So looking at the different platforms, can you kind of, or I want you to kind of take this, I guess, how should authors build their platforms and what's the best way for them to select which platform is the right one? Because you said you can't do everything or don't try to do everything. Where should they begin? So there's two places you should begin. One is you want to look in the mirror and ask, you know, what am I good at or what could I be good at? Right? No one's born good at public speaking, right? My daughter is learning how to talk right now. And for her, a three-word sentence is a really big deal. Even a two-word sentence we get excited about, even if it's like, no nap, no nap, which is her favorite <laughs> sentence at the moment. Uh, and she'll be, you know, chanting that while yawning and rubbing her eyes. I'm like, I think you're going to get a nap anyway. Um, but she's going to have to learn to become a speaker and learn to become a public speaker. So uh, it, it's a mistake to say, oh, I'm bad at this. I shouldn't try it because everything mm. is learned. We're always bad at everything at the beginning. But some people uh, enjoy something more than others. Right? Some people, they enjoy writing more. So maybe uh, starting a blog would be better. Other people, they enjoy speaking more. They're more comfortable with their tongue than with their keyboard. And so maybe a podcast would be better. But that's only half of the picture. So you want to look at yourself and ask, you know, where can your strengths be? The other thing that you want to look at, though, is who am I trying to reach? Where is my audience? And that will really impact what you're doing. If you're reaching teenagers, if you're writing young adults, a podcast is a mistake because teenagers don't listen to podcasts. You'd be better off being on YouTube. Teenagers consume a lot of YouTube content. And so you're like, wow, can I learn to be good? at YouTube. And then you have to kind of negotiate that. And so you can't just look at yourself. Ultimately, writing is an act of service. It's an act of love. And that means going to where your readers are and serving them in that place. So you need to get to know your readers. And a lot of authors, they kind of seclude themselves and they don't start looking for readers until they've finished their book. And this is a huge mistake. Uh, you need to be thinking about your reader and interacting with your reader from the beginning. 
All right. Well, that gives us something to kickstart a lot of today's conversation. So you have an author and they look at themselves and they say, all right, I'm better at writing than I am at speaking at this point. And I really do appreciate that you said we're not born good at everything. Everything is a learned behavior. Everything we learn. Now we can be gifted. We can certainly be gifted by God and we can be eloquent in certain areas, but not to say right off the bat, I will never be good at this. To be able to say, hmm, if that's where I have to go, I can learn this. I can learn this behavior. I can start new habits and break old habits. So if you have someone who says, I write, I love to write, how would you guide them in building their platform? So for somebody who likes to write, there's two key skills they need to add to their writing to weaponize it for platform building. Mm. And the first is learning to write quickly. And because that's really important, right? If it takes you a month to write an article, you'll never really be able to build your platform that way. So you need to learn how to overcome psychological barriers, overcome, you know, toxic self-talk, right? Expunge the phrase writer's block from your vocabulary. There is laziness and there is hard work. There is no such thing as writer's block. Uh, it's just being, you know, scared or being lazy. Uh, so just, just work. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is learning the skill of writing a good article and, and writing a good blog post. And this is a step that a lot of authors skip. They assume, oh, because I can write a novel or because I can write a nonfiction book, I know how to write a compelling blog post. And then they write blog posts that no one reads. And they're like, oh, blogging doesn't work. Mm. And I have a course on blogging and I, I got a comment just a week or two ago from somebody. She's like, I now know why no one reads my blog posts. <laughs> that was, mm. it was halfway through the course and she realized that she'd been doing it all wrong, that there's an art to building the kinds of blog posts that people text to their friends and send to each other on Facebook Messenger. And no one is born knowing how to write that kind of blog post. And so instead of just writing lots and lots of blog posts, you need to be writing blog posts and studying blog posts, right? Get books on blog writing, take courses on blog writing, and article writing. Blog and articles are basically the same thing now. There, there used to be this thing called paper and articles were on paper and blogs were on the internet. Now everything's on the internet. Right. Um, and, and the skills of writing a good article and the skills of, of writing a good blog post are really similar. And I'll give you one really important tip, and that is the most important part of a blog or an article is the title the subject of the blog post. And this is where most authors are the weakest, right? So when you're in school, you get an assignment, write 300 words about Christopher Columbus, or perhaps the modern version of that, write 300 words about Sacagawea. And so you go home and you write, write, write. And then what's the title of your essay on Sacagawea? It is Sacagawea, right? There's already an article online with the title Sacagawea, and it's on Wikipedia. And <laughs> You're not going to right. beat Wikipedia. And even if you did, somebody would just quote your cool discovery or whatever you wrote that was interesting about Sacagawea and cite it in Wikipedia, and Wikipedia would go back to the top of the stack. Mm. So instead, you would need to write some kind of compelling subject featuring that person. You have to learn what do you put into a subject, and then suddenly what you're putting into the subject informs the whole rest of the writing. It's the top button on the shirt, so to speak. So maybe it's why Sacagawea was our most important founding mother, 
right? Or why Sacagawea is not as important to history as you think, right? Those are two very different subjects that are both more compelling, right? Make somebody angry, make somebody curious, um, and two very different articles. <laughs> or, right. Uh, and, and that's uh, how the thinking needs to change. You got to start with writing that compelling article. You need to learn how, um, what the purpose of, it, of the subject is. So this purpose of a subject when you're writing for your teacher is to help the teacher know which assignment this is, right? The teacher gets 30 essays that all say Sacagawea at the top, and it's got your name, and she knows who to give the grade to. The purpose of the subject of your blog post uh, or your podcast episode, because the same principle applies uh, when you're doing it for strangers, is to sell the blog post, right? For somebody to read your blog post, they have to give five or 10 minutes of their life in exchange for that blog post. And they're going to live the rest of their lives and die and never get those 10 minutes back. And so it's got to be worth it. It's a very expensive thing for somebody to give you their time and you have to convince them why um, what you've created is worth their valuable time. And the best way to do that is to instill curiosity. So it's all about mm. planting the, the itch of curiosity in somebody's mind and making them want to read your post or listen to your episode in order to scratch that itch. And when you have that curiosity built in to the title, other people are going to say, oh, you've got to read this. You've got to see this. Now, let me ask you this. I've always known or always believed that the title holds a promise. So the importance of fulfilling that promise. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So if you are planting some curiosity in somebody's mind, you're also implicitly promising that that curiosity will be satisfied by the end of the post. <laughs> so you, you can't lie, right? You're going to be like, why Sacagawea is our most important founding mother? And the whole uh, book is, or the whole ep uh, ep blog post isn't about her, right? It's right. about somebody else, right? Then people are going to leave that and they're going to feel betrayed. Uh, they're going to feel like they've been clickbaited. Uh, and right. they're not going to share it. And so you do need to deliver on the promise. So you're making somebody curious. You're promising to satisfy that curiosity in a satisfying way. And then you need to stick the landing at the end of the blog post. They need to be like, wow, that was amazing. And then hopefully they share it with somebody who else would think that that's a really interesting topic. And the better your title is, like what you're saying, the more likely their friend is to read the article. Right? If they just get an article and it's generic, Right, they're unlikely going to, to read it. But if it's got a compelling title and a friend of theirs sent it to them, then they're much more likely to read it. Especially if the article, the post, is geared around a book that you've written. To be able to draw out of that the uniqueness, the unique little hooks. A book is not just one hook, in my opinion. There, there are several aspects of a book because we've been told, right, there's nothing that has not been written. Nothing is original anymore, but there are aspects of an individual's writing, their style of writing, what they pull out, their particular voice, individual hooks that can produce multiple articles and satisfy the promise that is made in the title. And if someone does that, it's going to also prompt, oh, by the way, this was taken from or originally found in this particular book, and people are going to say, well, then I want that book. If that's, if this is a taste of what I can find in the author's larger group of words that they put together. Do you agree? And I, I would actually start that process even sooner. I would start blogging the book before the book comes out. 
because let's say you have 300 blog posts on a topic. Let's say you're writing about saying no, right? People need to learn how to say no better. They need to say no more often. Every time you say yes to doing something, you're saying no to doing everything else at that same time. And so you know, be strategic with your no's, right? This is a topic a lot of books are about, it's a topic every year people need to read about. And let's say you have 300 articles you've written on saying no. Well, now you can look at the statistics of your blog and see which of those are the most popular. And that can inform you as to what goes into the book. And you can craft a book that becomes a guaranteed hit because you've already tested it in the hard knocks world of uh, the internet. A good example of this is the blog uh, Stuff Christians Like, which was a commentary on Christian culture. And the post on side hugs was the most popular post. So which of the you know 100 things that Christians like do you think they've featured on the cover of the, of the book? Side hugs, side right? Hugs. A little diagram of how to appropriately side hug somebody. And that book was a huge success. And it was more or less a guaranteed success because they already knew this book had an audience that it resonated with and that people were already sharing these really funny kind of humorous observations about Christian culture with each other. Excellent. All right. Well, let's turn the page. Let's go across the street here, if we if we would. And we have the speaker who wants to build their platform. And speaking for them is that natural ability. They don't have that fear as the majority of the world does. What approach should they take on building their platform? Well, in the olden days, they would start speaking in real life at real life events to people around the world. You know, when you're doing mm -hmm. my introduction, it's like, and he travels the world speaking. It's like, yes. I used to. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere this year. <laughs> well, that's not true. I spoke at a conference in February and um, and then, you know, March, you know, the pandemic happens and there's been no more speaking. And Absolutely. so uh, the world for speakers has really shifted. And there were the speakers who had already gotten into podcasting and they're doing better than ever. And then there were the speakers who are like, I don't need to do that. And now they're really struggling. In fact, I have a friend who was making incredible money as a MC and keynote speaker. And I'd been talking to him for years, like, you got to create courses, you got to get into this, um, doing more than just speaking. It's like, no, I'm the guy who doesn't do that. And then the pandemic happened and he lost all of his gigs. You know, his entire revenue dropped down to zero and he's in a really tough spot. So um, it's a tough time for speakers, but it's also a really great opportunity because people are consuming a lot more online digital content than they were before. And where I'd recommend getting started is with podcasting. Podcasting is very similar to speaking. It's still different, right? Um, it, the format's a little bit different with speaking, especially professional speaking. You're giving the same talk over and over again. In fact, going back to Benjamin Franklin, uh, he mentions uh, or he observes that George Whitfield is a much better speaker than his uh, local pastor. So Benjamin Franklin, despite being, you know, having complicated theological views, did go to church on Sunday. And uh, he's like, George Whitfield's so much better than my pastor. How is that? And he's like, oh, I get it. My pastor has to give a new sermon on a new topic every Sunday, whereas George Whitfield is giving the same sermon all up and down the colonies until every pause is perfect, every joke is funny, and he really gets to hone it. And so it's a very different skill learning to give a sermon every Sunday than it is giving the same sermon 500 times in a row. 
And that's the adjustment that speakers have to go through. So just like how people who are you know, writing nonfiction books have to learn how to write good titles, people who speak have to learn how to write good podcast episodes. But more importantly, they, learn, they need to learn how to bring something fresh and new every week. So it's one thing, yeah. and I know a lot of speakers that will create a new talk at the beginning of the year, and they kind of take it on tour. And mm. they have their 20 or 50 places that they speak each year, and they have that new talk. And so for the places that they visit, their speakers always sharing something new. And this is a really good practice. In fact, professional speakers often have kind of their test audiences that they do early. Where they're speaking for free or for cheap while they're making sure all the jokes work. And then as the talk gets more polished and more practiced, then they you know start to travel with it. You can't do that with a podcast, you know. Each week, there's got to be a new podcast episode. And so you got to learn how to have that discipline of every week going to your topic, right? If you're a pastor, it's maybe, you know, actually most pastors already have a podcast that's their sermon. Um, But so in that way, it's really easy for them, right? They're already creating weekly audio content. So it's really easy to just upload their sermon. In fact, there are more Christian sermon podcasts than any other category of podcast. (laughs) That's how popular it is. Yeah, it's the biggest category, and it's like significantly the biggest category, not in terms of downloads, but in terms of uploads, in terms of individual podcasts, because almost every church has a podcast of their sermons. In fact, you can see it in the index. There's this huge flood of new episodes every Sunday afternoon and Monday morning as the audio guys at the various churches all upload that week's sermon. Well, I like the concept of podcasting for speakers, and as a speaker who writes It's one of the natural bents that I have. I was in radio broadcasting for 10 years and had my own show. I like being able to have guests come on and periodically I do a broadcast on my own. And that's going to be the next venture for me in 2021 is actually doing a podcast that would be based on what I want to do, which is staying real about faith and family and coming up with that new content every week. I find that what has helped me is on in social media, I do inspirational posts every day. Well, they all have different topics and I have that stored. There's a lot of content there that I can say, this episode is going to be based on this topic and then on this one and on this one and on this one. And I've done the speaking tours where you do have people, they find that you spoke on this particular topic. They really liked it. We want you to come and speak on this again. But as you said, that can be very difficult if you're not branching out and being a little more or having more diversity in your talks if you're going to uh, choose the route of podcasting. Now, what about this? If they don't necessarily have their own podcast, what if they go on podcasts and they're being interviewed by other podcasters? Does that work for them? It can. And the advantage of being a guest is that, one, it's really easy, right? It's like kind of like being a grandparent. It's all the fun bits of being a parent. Without <laughs> any unfortunate bits, right? You, you come in, you play with the kids, and they need a diaper. You hand them off to your, your, your kids, and you, you know, brush your hands off and you walk away. So, like, for instance, I'm on your podcast here, and I'm coming in to, to answer your questions. We're having a conversation. But then when we're done... I'm going to move on to my next thing in my life, whereas you are going to have to edit the audio and post the audio, and you've got a whole list of tasks ahead of you that I'm not going to have to do. So that's a a big advantage of being a guest. And the other advantage of being a guest is that each uh, guest interview you do on a different podcast 
introduces you to a new audience. So some of your audience probably already listens to the Novel Marketing Podcast, but some of them don't, right? Some of them have never heard of me before. Right. And my being on this podcast is my opportunity to meet them for the first time. Uh, the downside of guesting or, or uh, why it's not the kind of perfect strategy is that next week you're going to have a different guest. Or maybe you're going to do a solo show where you're just talking on your own and sharing your own expertise. And it's very easy, you know, after a few weeks for people to have forgotten me, right? They had their chance to sign up for novel marketing and they either took it or they didn't. And I'm not building as a guest a more in-depth relationship with your audience. Whereas if you're the host of a podcast, right, people uh, who are listening to your best writing life, they're hearing Linda in their head every week, right? And they probably have heard more of your voice uh, in their heads than their own mothers <laughs> over the last several weeks. And you know, especially if you're binging, right? That's an incredibly privileged place of influence and a really yeah. powerful one. Uh, so there's advantages to hosting your own podcast and there's advantages uh, to being a guest. And um, I like both. And I will say podcasters like to interview other podcasters because they already have a good mic. They already know how the technology works. And so it um, it's very friendly in that way where podcasters yeah. will have each other on. And I enjoy it. That was one of my joys when I knew we were going to be on together today. I was like, this would be good. This is going to be so sweet. This would be great. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried in the least. Even if I dropped off someplace, Thomas could take it and he'd just go with the whole thing. So I'd be good with it. All right. So as we're, we've discovered what platform is, we've discovered how you can build platform and the areas of where you should build platforms. And this doesn't cover the whole gamut, folks, but you know, we were in a short time frame. And you had mentioned just a little bit on the mistakes that some authors make in building a platform. And I didn't know if you wanted to bring in anything else in, in that area. Yeah, I'd say that there's a, a bunch of mistakes that authors make, and a lot of them are kind of clustered around selfishness, mm. where they think the platform is all about them. And this manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, one is I want to write or podcast about what I find interesting because I want my podcast to be interesting to me. It's like, okay, if you want to have an audience of one person, then that's a great strategy. And, you know, if you want it, your blog to be at like, they were originally a journal, right? This whole idea of like, I'm going to write my journal in public and everyone can see my innermost thoughts. That's what blogs were in the early days. And that kind of writing has moved mostly to Facebook and to Twitter and Instagram. But some people still do that on their blogs and that's okay, right? If that's, you're doing that, you're working through a difficult season in your life and you're just writing to find some healing, that's all right. But you need to realize that that's not going to build you an influential platform that you can change the world with. There's a difference between George Whitfield standing in a field on a platform speaking to 20,000 people and the farmer who's in that field, you know, two weeks before plowing it, talking to his ox, right? So it's like, in some ways, it's very similar, but in other ways, it's very different. And so um, what you need to do to overcome this is to really cultivate a servant's heart where you're listening to your audience and you're looking for ways to serve them. So like what you're saying, Linda, about, you know, you've got this list of topics that, you know, is these encouraging quotes. That's a really great place to start. And you need that to kind of prime the pump of kicking off a podcast or kicking off a blog. But you don't want to end there. Hopefully after 20 or 30 episodes, you've built up enough relationship with your audience where they're starting to ask you questions. And those questions are what generate your new 
episodes, right? So Novel Marketing is the longest running book marketing podcast. We have over 250 episodes. And you're like, how on earth did you come up with the ideas for 250 episodes on marketing? It's like, very simply, I didn't. <laughs> we came up with the first <laughs> 20 or 30 episodes. And then, then occasionally I'll, I'll rant about something or something will be going on that I want to talk about. But more often, a listener will ask a question and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should talk about that. Or I'll I'll go to send them an episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have an episode that answers that question. And I go to find the episode. And I'm like, oh, huh, I don't have an episode on that. So like, for instance, I had a listener ask me about the publishing process, kind of the big picture of how do I get published with the traditional publishing house? And I'm like, oh, I've got an episode on that. Let me send it to you. I search and I search and I search. I can't find it. I'm like, how have I not talked about this? <laughs> so <laughs> that's what my most recent episode was on, was specifically answering that one listener's question. And my uh, hope and my expectation is, is if that episode is interesting for the one listener, it will be interesting for many. And I could be wrong, but I'm more likely to be right getting the idea from a listener than I am getting the idea from myself. No, I totally agree with you. We find those that listen, not everyone comments. But majority of the time, the comments or the questions that are asked is what a lot of people are asking. They're just not willing to put it out there that they want to say it. So anytime you can get a question from the audience and answer it, that's a home run because you know you've met the need of someone. And if it's even just one, because with podcasting as it was in the early days of radio and continues on today, discovering you're still speaking to an audience of one. Podcasting, someone's got you in their ears and you're walking with them and you're talking with them in almost an intimate fashion. So you're really touching that one life multiplied. But I don't know that there's a lot of podcasts that are, we're going to open it up to a whole room of people. Now, there may be cases when that happens for training or something like that, but being able to make a difference in the life of a person and to satisfy their their questions is exactly what you're saying as far as you're out to serve them. It's really true. Earbuds really changed the nature of podcasting because talking into microphones has existed for a long time. But when somebody is listening to his talk radio, it's like Rush Limbaugh back in the 90s, right? When Rush Limbaugh was really big, they weren't listening to Rush Limbaugh on earbuds, right? They were listening to Rush Limbaugh through speakers. And wherever they were, everyone around them was listening to Rush Limbaugh, right? So if you're listening to Rush Limbaugh at work, everybody else at work is listening to Rush Limbaugh too. That's not how it is now. Now everyone's got their own earbuds in privately listening to their own secret things, right? One person's listening to music, one person's listening to you know, a podcast on how to have your best writing life, right? <laughs> and it's right, very right. private and it's, it's very intimate, like you said, which is um, the greatest strength of podcasting because it's a really close emotional connection. It's also the greatest weakness of podcasting because people often don't talk about the podcasts that they listen to. And if you don't believe me, just ask yourself, when was the last time you told somebody about your best writing life and how much you enjoy this podcast, right? You're, you're 33 minutes into the episode. Presumably you're enjoying yourself, but I would venture to guess that for many of you, you've never told another living being that you listen to this podcast. So what are you um, people that, thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not throwing any shade, right? In, in that and right, I'm right. the same way, right? I listen to 50 or 60 podcasts and I've talked about, you know, some of them some of the time, but it's not the the kind of social experience that say reading a blog post is right people are much more likely to share a blog post post about a blog post on 
social media, uh, message it to a friend where it's, it's a big deal to send somebody a 30 minute episode or an hour long episode and be like, Oh, you should listen to this. I'm like, that's 30 minutes long. How on earth am I going to listen to that? But once they do, hopefully they get hooked and then they listen to the other episodes as well. So podcasting is a really special medium in that way. And it's not the kind of catch all perfect for everyone, but if you're comfortable on the microphone or if you have lots of good friends uh, who would make for good guests, uh, it, it's a very rewarding medium. And I, I'm glad I got into podcasting a million years ago. Well, I'm glad that you did as well. And I'm glad to be here today sharing this same uh, platform with you and having you on for the guests that listen to your best writing life. As we wrap up, I understand that you're working on a course for platform building. Can you share when and where we might be able to sign up for that? So the main course will release in fall of 2021, uh, which is a ways out, but we're doing a limited uh, beta release. So I practice what I preach in terms of making things with the audience, because I want this course on platform building to be super practical and helpful from start to finish. And so I'm bringing in a limited number of, of authors to be kind of beta testers of the course. They'll be getting each new session as I make it. I'll be doing live video calls with them where I'll be, they'll be asking me questions and I'll be, you know, if everybody's having the same question, I'm like, hmm, maybe I need to rework that video so that this question doesn't come up. And I'll also be asking them questions. It'll be very uh, participatory. Uh, we're hoping to open up registration here in the next few weeks. Um, you can find out info about it at authormedia.com. If you're on the email newsletter, you will get uh, emailed once the course goes live. Okay. Well, that's, that's what we want everyone to understand as well, is that we will have that information in the show notes. We'll have where you can find out more about Thomas and everything that he's doing, authormedia.com. Once you go there, please check it out. Take a listen and subscribe to the Novel Marketing Podcast. I know that some people might think, well, that's like your competition, right? You know what? In this industry, I guess we could say, no, we don't want to share, but not every shoe fits every person. And I know that what Thomas offers is quality information that those that listen to your best writing life, you can benefit from that as well. And Thomas, I think that you have something that you'd like to gift our listeners with today. Why don't you share that? I do. It's a um, free ebook uh, that I developed on how to create an onboarding sequence for emails. This is one of the more intimidating technical bits of having an email newsletter. It's the series of emails that drip out to new subscribers after they subscribe. Uh, it's in addition to kind of the monthly or the weekly newsletter that you send out. And this goes step by step, what to write if you're an author, demystifying that, like, what do I even say in these emails? We have templates, right. we have examples that I wrote. Um, I took two uh, long dead authors from the 20th century, uh, one from the 1930s and one from the 1950s. I pretended like they had internet back in those days. And I wrote a drip sequence um, for those authors. One's fiction, one's nonfiction. And then there's also kind of guidance on, on how to adapt this example for you. And then I even go into the technical steps and I have links to tutorial videos uh, in the ebook. And I'll have, I'll send, I'll send you Linda a link to the page where people perfect. can get that. Perfect. Perfect. And with that, is there a particular newsletter platform that you discuss or will this work with majority of them? So this approach works with almost all 
Um, the two that I recommend are MailerLite and uh, ConvertKit. In general, I recommend not using MailChimp because it's much harder in MailChimp than it is in almost any of their competitors. MailChimp has gotten really convoluted and diff difficult to use in recent years, which really makes me sad because for years I used to recommend them because they were the best and they were the freest and they had the best features. And uh, in the last year or two, they've added a lot of complexity. They've added a lot of cost while simultaneously taking features away. <laughs> and it's really gotten weaker as a platform. Uh, but I actually have an episode comparing the different email platforms and the pros and cons of each one. So if you're still trying to figure out where to build your email platform and where to grow your email list, I have a whole episode of Novel Marketing discussing just that and the pros and cons, because there's no one-size-fits-all uh, solution for email right now. Correct. And while you're in the show notes, folks, I'm going to encourage you to also download our monthly. That's right. Every month we change it up. We have writer's tips and soul care tips for writers, and we invite you. Please, it's, it's beautifully done, so aesthetically pleasing. And the tips change every single month. So we encourage you, take a look, download it, visit the links that we have connected with Thomas. You will not be disappointed. Not be disappointed. Thomas, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Linda. This was great. Well, I look forward to the next time. And thank you, my friends, for joining us. Please take a moment. And I just jump out there, folks. Take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being with you here next time on Your Best Writing Life.